Whoa, Rachel, it's June. We're podcasting again. Oh, thank goodness. We're back. I'm so glad to be back. It's June. Hello, world. Oh, I love June. It is such a sweet, sweet <laughs> time of year, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. It's June. I'm fired up for ISTE at the end of the month. Yes. We're going to be there presenting. I'm going to talk all about it because I want everybody to see me there. <laughs> everybody, we're going to be at ISTE. Uh, so exciting. We'll talk about that later. But, you know, here's the thing. Technology. Wait a second. Have you, it's in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia. It's especially exciting for Just us because we're in Pennsylvania. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So this is like a big deal for us. It's a home game. Yes. Yep. All right. So technology, Rachel, we're using it to talk to the world right now. We are. It has made teachers and especially libraries and librarians completely obsolete. <laughs> Prove me wrong. <laughs> That's our topic. Uh, I don't want to be charged with that. Um, <laughs> however, I do. Well, if you're a teacher listening to this, your job is on the line. Oh, stop a computer it. can do your job for you. Shut up. That's that's the He's big lying. He's yeah. definitely a compulsive liar. It's a problem. Of course, that's ridiculous. But I do see a parallel between um the the teacher who refuses to change his or her ways and does things the same way that teachers did things 30 or 40 years ago and a library in a school that operates you know the same way that maybe it did 30 or 40 years ago yeah. um there is an urgency to adapt and change with the the world that has 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 um completely been transformed by the information revolution really and so <laughs> and so uh i want to talk about the the complex nature of being uh in a in a school library these days okay uh, all the different options you have uh and where maybe you should prioritize the choices that you make can you kind of start with your own experience coming into that role right, and yeah. like like why should i be talking about this? yes yeah. and sort of what was the process that you went through to figure out what am i going to do with all this stuff what's important what's still relevant yeah. like yeah you found right. some treasures when you were going through everything yeah yeah so um i don't know like i guess my my background coming to the to the library is that kind of what you're asking Sure. Well, more like the process when you when you moved into that role and you walked into a library. Right. What did it look like compared right. to what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. This, you know, it would look like if it were keeping up with the. So, look, I wish I have read more and have done more research, but that's frankly a big reason why we have this podcast is to network with the experts that are out there. And mm -hmm. and by us giving our own opinions and the way we see things and asking questions that hopefully generating conversation and, and getting plugged into this network of educators that we all can kind of help each other. ISTE libs, hashtag, hashtag ISTE libs. Yeah. It's a thing. Okay. I looked it up. I, sh I should get on that. Um, so, um, yeah, so I, I definitely don't want to claim to have all the answers, but, um, here are three lessons I think that I've learned in my three years, uh, you know, going from a uh, history classroom teacher to now being a, a library media specialist. Um, and the, the three things are kind of the three components that need to be there for, for a library to take off. Um, 
One is resources. So the things that are actually housed in the library need to be relevant. Um, and I, I always said they have to be like special to the students. What I mean by that is it's not something that students already are carrying around in their pocket, right? Mm -hmm. So if it's a collection of videos that a lot of libraries have, well, if there's something pretty darn close to it on YouTube, then that's kind of irrelevant yeah. for a student. Yeah. Lots of books fit that category. Not all, but a lot do. Um, and so going into the library, I was like, I want to make um, an environment where when students come in, they think to themselves, oh, this is where I get to use this, that, or whatever it is. Right. It's like a a house of opportunity yep. for them. Yep. But those resources aren't enough. And so I was very much on guard from the very start. Again, complete novice, no formal education in, in the library sciences or anything like that. Um, but I was very much on guard against, you know, having a big, shiny, brand new 3D printer at the entrance of the library mm -hmm. and saying, hey, look, we're a modern library because we have the 3D printer. We can check it off our list and call ourselves modern. Um, there must also be uh, basically a curriculum support. There needs to be uh, that, that thing driving the reason why those resources are there. Um, to just kind of scatter uh, a library with a bunch of cool tech and to not have an intentional curriculum driving students through those experiences um, is at best really inefficient. A really inefficient use of of the the dollars being spent to to use those and, and everything else so it's like cultivating a need for the resources before right. you actually necessarily know what resources you need to build yep into your 100 percent. i would think that um that the curriculum as always should come first right it's um that guaranteed experience that we want all of our students to have and so um <clears throat> And so the third part, I think, goes hand in hand with the curriculum, and that is a little bit of top-down leadership or a little like building leadership where um, the, the building principal or maybe even some, someone in central office can partner with the librarian to say, look, we are going to encourage our teachers in one way, shape, or form to use these library resources because they need to do it in order to meet the demands of the curriculum. And so uh, it's, it's basically the, the, the kind of leadership that says, teachers, here's, we're raising the bar. We want your students to do these things that they've never been asked to do, but we are also providing you with the expertise and the resources to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And that expertise and resources is the library. And so those three things, the resources, the curriculum, and the, the leadership all have to work together. And... What's, uh, you know, it's like anything great that ever happens. Um, it takes a team to do that. If it's going to happen, there can't just be one really uh, eager individual going after it to make it happen. What do you think about that? I, I mean, it sounds really good. I have a lot of questions. Like, I feel like yeah. we have to dive deeper into yeah. all three of those things. But I didn't want to. I didn't want to throw, throw off your game. You were like on a roll there. I was on a roll. That felt good. So talk to me first about, so let's juxtapose a little bit traditional, yeah. like 
say somebody is walking into a role where they're going to you know, inherit this space, inherit these responsibilities, similar to your situation where you don't necessarily have experience in that. What are you, what is a, a person gonna find there? Yeah. And how do you determine what's relevant and what's not? Right, so I think that, uh, first of all, every single situation is unique. You'll find some school districts have lots of strong tradition in their libraries. Um, <clears throat> you have, a teaching staff that uses libraries extensively for, um, you know, very um, formalized research. You know, there might be even something in the curriculum for a um, for a research project that uses library materials. Yeah, that might be the case. I feel like I re remember using the library during English class. Right to work on a research paper when I had to fill out a certain number of index cards with print sources. Right, exactly. So I think in that case, even if it seems like an older, more traditional um, um, activity that's going on, I would argue that that's actually a great foundation upon which to build whatever change or, or maybe just freshening up of the library that might take place because at least you have uh, already a partnership with teachers and students are used to using the library. Um, the situation that I personally walked into was one in which um, there wasn't a lot of really anything uh, going on in, in that way. And so it was kind of like, how do we build a culture in this school? How do we, you know, it's like, it, it's pretty daunting. And, you know, I found myself in conversations about, hey, what kind of new materials, like what kind of new furniture do you want here? And the answer to that question is, well, if the curriculum was this, then these materials would be amazing for that. Yeah. But if we don't have that vision right. yet, then, you know, we're not going to just it doesn't make sense to change just for the sake of change. And well, there's a little bit of a counter argument to that though, isn't there? Okay, that if sure. you don't have any traffic <laughs> in your space or if classroom teachers don't have a clear line of connection there, can, can are, is there a way to somehow position some of that like right. ahead of the, the change right. to sort of like, be just inviting and to be sort of the rebranding that will say, hey, this is something new and different. Maybe now's an opportunity to explore again. And right. So that's, that's what a, I thought. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. No, it. What I thought you were going to say was when you asked, like, what kind of furniture and stuff would you want in here? I thought you were going to say that people's response was, well, I don't know right. because I don't come here or right. it's not you know, I don't know how I would use this space right. because you don't necessarily know what you don't know. Exactly. And you're not in there. Exactly. Yeah, I guess I was referring more to when I was asked by administrators, you know, um, my answer was, well, here's what a lot of libraries are doing, but those libraries have, you know, something else going on. Um, <clears throat> so one... Um, one thing that we did, and this kind of speaks to your point about, um, 
you know, maybe putting the cart in front of the horse in terms of getting some flashy tech in your libraries to draw students and teachers' attention to the space and then, you know, get the ball rolling, get some momentum that way. We actually did that with um, the, the start of our video program. This is what we're going to be presenting about at ISTE. So go check out the YouTuber's Guide to Nailing the ISTE Standards. Woo! Look us up. And also, I'll the, be in the front row. All right, and also, it's a poster session, so oh. <laughs> you can hang out there for two hours. Um, <laughs> and also, start me up uh, creating a startup company in your school. Um, both are based around the same program, EP Media, or is found at YouTube.com/slash EP Media. And we basically got a bunch of high-end video gear with the idea of not creating an old-school. Um, video program where maybe you do the morning announcements. Not that we won't do that someday, but it was more about how do we make this super relevant for students. And so that means YouTube, that means, you know, getting likes and subscribers and, and playing that game and analyzing it and understanding this is a, a career readiness thing. And there's a lot of jobs that want people that have, you know, this kind of expertise. Um, so just kind of creating this company, creating a brand, giving students ownership of it. Um, <clears throat> what we found was starting off, there was a small group of very interested students. And then as that sat for a year and teachers started to see it and they started to have conversations with people like myself and their own students, um, they started to wonder how they might be able to use some of this gear mm -hmm. for a project that they have. And then that's where, uh, you know, I, I think a school librarian's job has always been to promote, 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 like yeah. promote the stuff that you have. And so from that place, you can then say, oh yeah, you can absolutely, we can take this lesson you're doing and, and, and we can work together. And this past year, uh, the vast majority of how our brand spanking new video equipment has been used, has been used for um, students doing projects for a grade, not just making YouTube videos for, you know, for themselves or for the mm -hmm. channel that we have. That's interesting because I never would have thought of it as that, that you have to kind of market what right. you're trying to sell to teachers and right. to students because having been on the receiving end of that, thinking like, how does what's there necessarily connect or integrate to what's happening inside my four walls? If, if that person isn't kind of really a loud voice trying to say, here are some examples, here are some things that I want to do. How can I use your content to reinforce these skills? And here are some suggestions and things like that. I feel like um, that's a big responsibility that I don't think I realized that somebody in that role has to take on. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, my, my role was media specialist and also tech coach. And that I saw how those two jobs meshed very well because as a coach, you're doing, you're also the one that initiates the conversation so often, Yeah. you know? So I saw a lot of similarities, at least in maybe like the posture that this person has in the building or like, you know, the, the, the role they play almost socially with the teachers. It's someone who you should be spending a lot of time out of the library and in classrooms. And just observing and seeing, here's how what we're trying to build in the libraries can work with what you're doing. And the library has a budget. And so if I see from a handful of science teachers some common ground, then maybe we can 
we can get these resources that, uh, again, maybe each individual classroom can't afford, mm -hmm. but the library can, and they can all use them. Yeah. Right? And then who knows what that snowballs into with other disciplines. It's so interesting, and I think that it's a great opportunity also to train teachers about those resources kind of through immersion. So if that's showcasing something as part of a, an activity in an in-service or a, a staff meeting right. or something like that. Um, but I, I think that as far as physical things, whether that's something more traditional like databases or a certain type of technology or even the way that a space is designed, like getting your teachers who are willing to kind of dip their toe in and be like, I don't really get how this works, but I'm willing to learn. Let me just like throw myself in there and you show me what mm -hmm. the intention of that is. Yeah, there's definitely risk taking involved. There's definitely, you need that teacher who, um, yeah, wants to mix some things up and isn't holding on too tightly to that unit that they're teaching. Um, but I've found some of the most authentic team teaching experiences in this role as a librarian because, or media specialist, I use the terms interchangeably, um, because I think so often when team teaching or even coaching happens, there's a misconception or a, I would say poor practice of, okay, I'm going to hand off my class to you because right. you're an expert on this particular thing. You teach that little thing and then I'll jump in and, you know, back to our regularly scheduled program. Yeah. Um, what was happening, I'll just give the example of um, a, a full class, several classes of physics students um, were making videos. They were using a drone and several cameras to do ev all, all kinds. Of, they were trying to come up with um, uh, illustrating, I guess, the difference. I'm going to get this wrong because I'm not a physics guy, but uh, the difference between trans uh, centrifugal and centripetal force, these forces. And um, I, I'm not an expert in the content. I'm an expert in how to get the shot that you're looking for. Mm. And so, you know, all right, so this one group of three students said, and they're seniors, they're, they're going to go over to the parking lot and they're going to drive in a straight line, holding a ball out of the back seat. A kid's going to be sitting there holding a ball and then they're going to turn and the ball's going to fall out of his hands and keep going straight while the car turns. And they wanted a shot from inside the car. They wanted a shot from like as the car is approaching, like approaching the camera. And then we used the drone to get like a bird's eye view shot. And how can we do that? How can we sync them? How can we narrate over it? I'm like, I'm your guy for all that stuff. Yeah. But when they come to me and say, how do I show centripetal force with this? I say, or like, is this right? Did <laughs> right. I do this? <laughs> exactly. That's where I'm saying, all right, our, go talk to your physics teacher. And neither of us, we're both teaching the whole time. Right. And it's authentic. And yeah. um, so it's really shared ownership, too, because the other part of it, when often there are two teachers like habitually sent to a course and you're co-teaching, I see so often where you have your lead teacher and then the other one sort of functions like an aide. Right. And there's not as much shared responsibility. And right. I don't I just don't think that that's right on either end of it. Like we're both in, you right. know, the professionals that we've been trained to be, we can both take on aspects of this. I don't feel um, like I've nailed it yet. And I love that. I love when it's like, ah, I can do this so much better next time. You know, mm -hmm. I love being in that zone where <clears throat> I know we're onto something and, and there's still some fine tuning to happen. But one, one thing that I, maybe this will be of use to somebody that I've, I think really works is 
having the media specialist go into the content teacher classroom and spend a day or two in there and just be there, you know, just let the kids see you get engaged with the students, with the content, ask questions to the content teacher, mm-hmm. you know, just be a student and, and just be a part of that team that's trying to learn and trying to eventually accomplish this complicated project. So what would that be? The classroom teacher saying, I have an idea. I don't really know what the creative media side of it is going to be. Right. So but I there's think, like a seed of an idea. Yeah. Can you like spend some time to get to know my content and then we could brainstorm together? Is that like well, how the, that conversation the way, went? Yeah, the way we did it was it started, if you go even a step before that, it starts with a one-on-one conversation. Um, you know, the teacher and the media specialist. Uh, just talking about some cool things they're doing, what they're excited about, and then an idea to do a project together emerges. Mm -hmm. I just think it was an important step for me as the media specialist to come into that classroom and spend a little bit of time in there with the students. And then when it was like, all right, let's make this thing, um, we were all in the room together. We happened to be in the library where the computers, the cameras, all that stuff was. And... It wasn't a traditional, here's your teacher at the front showing you how to do stuff. It was, you have the content, albeit maybe not at mastery, but you have enough of an idea to start working on illustrating this and and creating an authentic product out of, you know, what it is that we're learning about. And the media specialist and the teacher are floating. If, I think if you set it up the best way possible, you're not necessarily doing a lot of teaching. Um, you're there to give you're just a, a little bit. Of, yeah, of. you're a little nudge here, a little nudge there, a little uh, affirmation. Yep, that's good. That's mm-hmm. good. That's works. Uh, this group did it this way. It seemed to work for them. You might want to think about that or go talk to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're kind of a consultant or, uh, yeah, just a, a, a lead learner or a lead, just a a guiding force there. Mm-hmm. You're not so much driving what's happening. The kids are doing the work. They're the ones running all over the place. The teacher the the teacher and the media specialist are having conversations with each other. They're observing the kids. They're thinking they're they're saying to each other, "Oh, next time we should do it this way." Or, you know what I mean? That yeah. that process of building it is still happening the whole time. But it works best when um the the end product being great is the focus. It's not fulfilling the demands of some kind of observation that's taking place. Mm-hmm. It's not um, meeting a requirement to meet with the media specialist or anything like that. Um, it's the students, the media specialist, and the teacher all totally bought in to we all want to use all of our combined expertise to make something awesome and well, put it out there for a global audience to see and see what kind of like feedback we get. This is, and maybe it's because it, this is such an emerging idea still, but like, it seems pretty novel. Like probably every time you're doing it, you're learning so Absolutely. much from the experience of it and I because think it's, it's not something you've ever done before. Every, t- every iteration is something different. And when you think of the face the changing face of technology, it should be like that every year. The next year you come come along and be like, hey, look, this kid brought in this camera that they got that we haven't ever used before. Or, um, you know, the technology is always going to be like we're already anticipating. There's going to come a point at which um, we'll be able to do cloud-based video editing. You know, you won't need a big heavy computer to do the heavy lifting and the video editing. You'll be able to edit it via a web browser. Yeah. Or you'll be able to 
throw part of it to AI and have it cut up part of the video for you and, and bring it back. But you'll have to know what parameters to give the AI to give back to you. Like this is, this is all what's going to happen eventually. And so, you know, for me to say to you that I've mastered this way of doing it and I'm going to package it in a book and sell it and be yeah. like, here's how you do it. That's yeah. stupid because it's going to, it should be completely different five years from now and at least a little bit different yeah. next year you know but i think it speaks a lot to the idea that we are content experts right, right. and we that we need to be very engaged and very involved even though the learning is happening amongst the students that role of being the consultant, the one who is, right. and maybe it's not just waiting for them to come to you with a question, but it's like plugging yourself in to see what's happening, to get them to like trigger some reflection and push them to yep. what, what is next. Like, let's take this beyond just right. the comfort, you know, right. zone of it all. So you're talking a lot about like augmenting and maybe even <coughs> redefining um, content curriculum. What about the curriculum of, you know, the, the ISTE standards for students or the library standards that mm -hmm. exist? So what kind of, how, how would somebody working in this role um, fulfill those standards without having Right. Content integrated from other classrooms. Right. So, you know, again, I think it's all about having an authentic um, project that students are fired up to, to bring, you know, to reality. When when that's in place, it becomes very easy, I think, to hit those standards without even trying. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all about what you're aiming at. Okay, so if you're aiming at memorizing a list of certain facts, you're not going to hit many of the ISTE standards. Mm -hmm. But if your goal is to um, maybe even just take the design thinking approach, you know, um, research a problem and, you know, iterate a solution to it and keep that cycle rolling, you're going to find yourself um, confronted with problems like, well, which tech tool should I use? in order to, to do this the best. Well, that right there is one of the ISTE standards. Or, oh, this could really grab people's attention if I use this, this popular song. Well, now I'm hitting another ISTE standard about digital citizenship. And I have to find a way around that because that's infringing upon copyright rules. Mm -hmm. So like, that's all learning. I think that myself growing up, copyright was always, just an annoying rule yeah and so the game was to try to get around it but when you know when you when you sell it as you're creating something that everyone in the world's going to see and if you put it that's why i love youtube or podcasting or even blogging or whatever but having that global potentially global audience means hey if you're breaking a bunch of copyright rules someone's going to take your stuff down and that's the most authentic right. kind of feedback you can get. It's way Natural better. Yeah, it's way yeah. better than a zero. Well, Be I think also when you invest a lot of effort in creating something, the idea of yes. putting yourself in this space where like, what if somebody else stole this from me and yeah. took credit for it? Right. How would that make me feel? Yep. I think that's something that 
before we couldn't really relate to, and now right. it probably happens all the time. Right. So. Right. So you know, if I, I think your question, and make sure I'm answering this because I think it was like, as the media specialist, I don't per se have a content Correct. area I'm trying to teach. Yeah. I'm trying to teach a bunch of skills. Yes. So, you know, maybe you have like a, um, a, a makerspace area, and you go out to a social study. Let's go to a middle school. You go out to a social studies class and you see that they're doing some geography, some map work. Well, you show them a bunch of stuff that you have in your library and you show that instead of coloring this side red and this side blue, you can use LED lights and, you know, this copper ribbon mm -hmm. and um, you can, you know, you can make this, you could even make it web activated if you wanted to. You could have this map light up according to the results of a poll that you take. Like you can really dive deep with the skills that make this a cool thing to show off. Yeah. And so um, it's, it's such a cool job to have because you get to be that hook that makes the, the curriculum matter even more. Right. It's like, um, you know, I, I, I have this um, this this content knowledge from this history textbook even, um, but I'm going to incorporate the student body in a poll to see um, who thinks this side was right in their justification for war. I don't know. It's off the top of my head, but like, um, and and what am I doing? I'm going right back to the audience being bigger than the teacher. I keep coming back to that. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a global audience or an audience of the, the, the building community, whatever. Um, I think it's inherent with the job of the library as showing teachers and students that what their learning experiences have, um, have a place to be shared. And I don't know, maybe, maybe the library is that place where it's like, a, a launch pad for their learning to be you know, yeah. made more authentic. It's interesting. So when I think, and I'm not even 100% sure I know what a traditional, like the traditional library standards, they, they're outdated now, mm -hmm. but what they actually covered, but my guess would be that it was, the main focus would have been to support literacy and right. to promote literacy. And I think that the that responsibility still exists. It just has a lot of different facets now. Um, but you've mentioned that um, through research, you've seen statistics of when media centers were updated, book checkouts actually increased right. like exponentially and right. things like that. Why do you think that happens? You're, you're changing the culture of the school. You're making, look, kids will never check a book out and then go to Barnes and Noble and browse around the books and pull something off the shelf. Um, it's not like that's what every high school kid's doing these days is mm -hmm. going to the bookstore or whatever, but it happens like, um, and it's a cool place to be. Like there's music playing and yeah, there's a coffee an shop. And, there. Yeah. It yeah. looks, it's nice to be there. So yeah, you can make your library a place where instead of just having, um, yeah, the fiction books are over there and all your nine hundreds are over there. And, um, have it with with the the, the book covers facing um, 
you know, the entrance way. So as you come in, you can see, oh, this week, this book's being featured. That's a lot of work, but mm-hmm. that's throw that all under promotion. It's all yeah. promoting the resources that you have. So the proximity is definitely something about it. One of the things that I love that has been trending through social media for a couple years now is the idea of book talks or even yeah. book snaps, which I love as far as taking kids who have a a love of reading and also this interest or talent to create something using the media that they're learning about. And it's almost like they start to take over some of the promotion responsibilities. I love that. So if they give their little like advertising spiel and that goes up through your, you know, announcements or um, is something that you know, kids can scan with a QR code. Maybe it's even something that you put inside the back cover. Like, here's a quick recommendation. Or if you can even get kids to share those things out on their own social media with right. like a, a media center uh, hashtag yeah. or something like that. I think that's It doesn't get so, more authentic than that. Yeah, right. so interesting and such a great way. And I think that there, I'm guessing that a lot of people feel like we're trashing the books and we're replacing it with technology and we're all gonna turn out to be robots someday. But I think really we're saying, you know, so maybe a lot of what's in your nonfiction section is outdated and more easily accessible. There's such a, a more vast, you know, variety of resources digitally, but there are ways to integrate your really good fiction writing with those tools too. So everything from, like I love the idea, this is something that, um, there's a a podcast called Story Pirates. Okay. Have you ever heard of it? No. So kids write like creative stories and submit them to this company and then these people sort of like really dramatically. That's amazing. Um, podcast right. their stories and develop these characters. What? Right. How cool would that be to like replicate that in your English class and use the media center as a platform to like or, spread that out? Or have your high school kids make them from elementary kids' stories? Yes. To, I mean, as a high school kid, I would love to get to do that. That would right? be so neat. And yeah. and it's I feel like it's touching on so many different things. Even when you think back to the the times when I would um, take my English classes to the library and wanting them to do research and things like that. One I I remember one of the things that I would teach would be ways to like embed your your research into your writing through either like quoting or through paraphrasing or through summarizing. Well, you can still do all of those things, but think about what that looks like then. So what does um, a quoted source or a paraphrase look like in an infographic? What does it look like in a public service announcement video? Um, And so still making sure that we're still supporting kids with those skills, but it's just instead of only writing it on paper, now we've got these different options for them to to use all of those things. And as a media specialist, I would jump at the chance um, to work with a teacher who's saying, here are the things that I need to cover. Can we make a video where they're whatever? The things that you just said. I'm like, that sounds so fun yeah and we're we're gonna the kids are gonna love this yeah they'll yeah. really be a lot more engaged with it also yeah for sure yeah 
So you talked about resources, curriculum, and then your third element was your teacher or your leadership support right. of right. your programs, maybe your mission statement right. for the media center, really the vision of what should that or could that space be and same thing with the person, right. like that role be. Right. So in your um, own identity as a media specialist, do mm -hmm. you prioritize your role as more? I know that, that the answer is both, but is it a higher priority for you to be a resource for teachers or a resource for students? Like, how do you align yourself? Well, you know what? I think, I think if you want to impact the kids most, it should be, I want to say more for the teachers. You're going to build more capacity that way. Mm -hmm. And even more so, I think that, you know, you could have a number of different types of, re of relationships with your building principal and your building leadership. If the media specialist and the building leadership are in step, they're passionate, they have a mission, and, and they're going to make that, that happen. Um, obviously, that's the best. And that's going to reverberate in the faculty meetings and in the, um, the outreach that the library media specialist is doing as they're promoting, promoting, promoting. The, mm -hmm. the, the building principal is going to echo that promotion. Um, another kind of relationship is one of apathy where the building principal as so many reason and, and for good reason are, they're just totally overwhelmed with other things. They can't focus as being lead educators as mm -hmm. much. Um, and the media specialist finds themselves kind of, kind of without that real drive. And so they have to kind of go it alone. That can be tough when teachers get the sense that eh, this is kind of optional, you know? Yeah. And I kind of have a full plate. So, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm going to try. Um, and then of course you can have a bad relationship in which, you know, whatever, whatever happens is going to be, um, minimal. It's going to be compartmentalized. And so that's why I say that, that leadership, the, the building leadership is a crucial component to what a successful library, look, the library needs to be a, at service to the individual like building. Mm -hmm. And that includes the community that you live in, you know, uh, outside of the, the, the boundaries of the school district or the, 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 yeah, the school district, um, the grounds. building, the yeah, actual the campus. campus. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it has to do with the tradition of the school. It has to do with how big the school is and what the demographics look like. It has all, all those things to do with it because there are dozens upon dozens of areas that a library can emphasize and do well. And um, you can only pick so many of them. Mm -hmm. So uh, to identify those, prioritize those, and to have a clear vision for not just the district, but really specifically, I think, the building. It's okay for a library. Yes, they should be in step with, with the other librarians and the other buildings, but really focus on making that building have an identity yeah. and have a culture. I think it's one of the, the biggest 
impacts the library can have is, is helping to establish a culture. I agree with that. I think it really can be, I've heard it described as like, has the potential to be the pulse of the building. Right, exactly. And so what I hear you saying is that a person that truly exemplifies like the, uh, what a media specialist should be and the way that it should function for the members of, of the school, that you need somebody there who is a visionary and yeah. who doesn't <coughs> have that compulsory need to follow a, you know, a set plan or a set lesson agenda or things like that, that you need somebody who can reinvent, rebrand and, and reposition what that space is, how that partnership would work. And so to the classroom teachers who are wondering, how do I utilize this resource? If you are lucky enough to have somebody in that position, um, to, to not feel like you have to have it all figured out and to go to that person and say, this is exactly what I want to do. Can you help for that? That's not that's not the point of it. Like you do, that's okay to do if you have a really well articulated plan, but that it's okay to go and say, I really want to start utilizing some of these skills. Some of the, right. I want to start tapping into some of the ISTE standards. I want to start empowering my kids to create instead of just consume and to go to that person as a sounding board and as somebody right. who can generate some ideas for you. And the message there also is to not just say, oh, I have a group of kids who has a cool idea. I'm gonna send them out of my classroom and send them to the library right. to work. Right. But to sort of accept the, the possibility that truly to transform instruction inviting that person in, in front of everybody and working together in partnership right. Absolutely. Is, is the better way to go about it. Yeah, a hundred percent. Again, I think, you know, I go back to that example of that, that team teaching experience. And um, the, the reason why it was so good was because what was happening would have been impossible without both expert teachers there, each with their own individual yeah. expertise, area of expertise. Um, yeah, um, I think that the, um, that the teacher who is wondering how to maybe start uh, using their library, it starts with the relationship with that person. Yeah. And it might be a situation where that's not, that's not great. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> maybe then you're going to be that person. Maybe you need to find a way to be that person. If not in that school, then somewhere else. Um, because what we can accomplish with vibrant, um, uh, even daring libraries um, in our building, that, I, I think that that's going to be the catalyst for the kind of change that our schools are so desperately in need of. It makes me excited. There's a lot yeah. of potential yeah. embedded there. Absolutely. And it's overwhelming with how many different directions you can take. You oh, have yeah. to you have to learn to say no to certain things. Uh-huh. It you 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 should I don't do this well enough, but I one of my goals for next year is to have a, a committee of like library friends um, and that would include teachers, students and community members 
because again you want to serve the mm-hmm. community the building you want to be of, of service to those that will help you choose which of the that long list of, of potential areas you you can go what that list should actually be that i think is maybe my number one piece of advice is to um to to figure out to to create a plan by which you will set an agenda for the next school year. So if, you're speaking if you're on a as a media specialist. As a media specialist. Okay. One of the, if, if, you're, if you've been a media specialist for a long time, stop doing the same thing you've been doing over and over and over again. It's working. People get it. It's fine. Maybe you have kids coming all the time. Stop doing it because you need to be more responsive to the needs of, uh, and those ever ne- ever changing needs, um, you should have a, a potentially new list of um, points of emphasis. And they can change, um, and they should be the result of conversations you're having with people. Um, maybe even new new lessons, new initiatives that are being taught in the curriculum. Um, so, yeah, it's it's listening. Not only to you know what teachers are teaching, what the curriculum is, but also listening to what your students are interested in, and listening to what frustrations your teachers are having, and listening to the direction that your building leaders want to go in. Listening to all that, devising a plan, and though it might kill you, saying no to some of the things that you might love doing so that you can say yes to the things that are going to have the biggest impact because you already have people that want to walk in that same direction yeah. with you. That's really cool. Well, for our listeners who are on either side of that equation, either the media specialist or the classroom teacher that aren't quite sure how to make those connections, hopefully we've given you some ideas. Yeah. And just thinking through some of those possibilities, I mean, it makes me feel energized, like a clearer vision of, what that resource could be and the way that we could really make it meaningful for teachers and kids. Absolutely. And we want some feedback. Um, So we'll put this on Twitter. Hopefully we generate some conversation there and hopefully we see some of you at ISTE. It would be insane for um, some of you to, for us to meet and talk about some of this stuff. So yeah, check us out. Awesome. All right. Let's do this again soon, Eric. Sounds great. All right. I'm excited. Until then, be greater. Oh, yeah.